I'm currently on the phone with Rick. He's another musician that reached out about the current interview session. So I'm going to go ahead and give him the chance to introduce himself. Hi, I'm Rick Gordon. Uh, I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, I'm a producer, singer-songwriter, and uh, creator. <laughs> Excellent. Um, all right. So uh, with these interviews, the intention is kind of, you know, to go back in time a little bit, figure out, you know, how people came in contact with music. So give me some details about how you kind of first encountered music. What about it was important to you and made you want to pursue it? Okay. Um, um, well, I'm, I'm probably a bit unconventional with your uh, guests in that right off, I'm 70 years old. And I've had an entire career in the business, as it were, and so, so you know, I've got a lot of lot of memories and a lot of milestones along the way. Uh, but where it started for me was a record by a guy named Domenico Modugno, uh, Il Blu Dipinto di Blu, also known as Volare. You can go Google it. Uh, Ed Sullivan loved it. This was nineteen. Uh, 1958. I was five years old, and it was my first record. I loved it, and I loved everything about it. And uh, I knew then I wanted to be a musician. Awesome. What do you think it was about that record that kind of you know really spoke to you and made you want to pursue that? I I, I don't know, but it but what's interesting, you know, is I I started off on cornet, but then when when you know. The Beatles came out and rock started. I I changed, and of course my career was was that direction. But but just in the last couple of years, last three years maybe, I've I've started to play and write that kind of pop music, and so it's interesting that I've sort of come full circle to the music that got me started to begin with, and I'm I'm writing. Uh, big swing, big swing numbers, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting for an old punk rocker. Sure, definitely. Um, so let's kind of uh, figure out, you know, how you kind of stepped into it. What what was your first uh, step into like learning an instrument? How did you pick up the instrument, and what was your learning tools like? How did you train yourself, or did you go through uh, private lessons? Went through private lessons. I started right then when I was five years old on a little cornet, and uh, I wanted. Uh, I was really taken by Louis Armstrong and by that kind of jazz, and so I, uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to pursue the cornet. And, and uh, my my mom and dad, my dad especially, was was very into people like you know, Mel Torme and, and my mom was a Bobby Soxer. So, you know, she was into Frank Sinatra and, and they were into Streisand and, and all those people. So I grew up listening to a lot of really good music, really, you know, solid, solid players and, and exceptional singers. And, uh, and my mom had a sister who, uh, who was a lounge singer and did a few singles for Dory Records in Los Angeles, and so I was just sort of around that, and uh, and uh, was just progressed from there. Uh, I got got pretty good on the cornet by the time I was seven and eight, and then when I was ten, I heard an import 
my dad brought home an import of the Beatles. And and uh, that would have been, what was that, December of 1963. And, and I was gone. I started guitar that April, and I was in a band that next August and did my did my first gig at the seventh grade talent show in the spring of 1960, would have been 1965, 1964, 19, 1965, would have been spring of 65, was the first gig at the talent show. I just can imagine how horrible we must have been. <laughs> so yeah. look at, looking back, and it's probably you know a little ambiguous to look back at it so far from where you are now, but how do you think the, the skill set was transitioning from the coronet onto the guitar? I didn't even I didn't even think about it. Um, I you know I I stayed playing the cornet. I played cornet until I got out of high school, and so you know I always played in the school band and everything. But but guitar was was what I did, and 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 I turned I turned pro very early. Uh, I had wonderful parents, but a very challenging home life, and so I emancipated when I was fourteen and got my musician's union card because you couldn't get a union card and turn professional till you were 14. And uh, I turned professional at 14, um, grad graduated high school a month before I turned 17. And, and uh, that month before I turned 17, I moved to Greenwich Village and, and embarked on a very serious music career. Okay, so let's talk about that. When you kind of first decided to set forth into the music uh, industry as a 14-year-old, uh, what were your steps? Did you look for other bands to play with, or were you more focused on creating your own music? No, it was always our own our own music. Yeah, we were, you know, back back then, you know, it's real different with musicians now and and I you know and and I know a lot I'm still an active record producer and so I I know a lot of people and uh, you know it's it was very different then because you you know the the whole focus was on writing writing hit songs and getting a label deal you know it was about it was about publishing about management about label deals and so you know it was it was a profession and it was a profession you pursued like that and there are people that are still doing that but the bulk of musicians i see out there now are not on that kind of path they're sort of on a me 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 path and and uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't see it leading to. I've, I've discussed this on my Threads page. Um, I don't see it leading to sustainable careers. I know, I know different musicians taking different paths, and the ones that are getting success are the ones that are still focused on label manager publishing. You know, and uh, so, it's, so you know, it's re it's real interesting. It's hard to relate. Uh, the path that I was on, I got to New York City as a as a 16 year old, and I was there, you know, as a 16 year old. And at, at that point, I had a Martin, and I was pursuing the folk scene in Greenwich Village. And I was there about 30 seconds before I realized I did not have a voice that would propel me to start it. And uh, and but but yet, you know, being a side person also was not a choice. 
and and you know playing guitar for somebody. So not not a choice for me personally. Um, and and so so I quickly got into a scene that prepared me to be a record producer, and that was brand new back then. A and R people were just leaving the labels and becoming record producers, signing artists. And I fell into that scene through a guy named David Peel in New York City. And, uh, and, and so, so that set me on a different path. I ultimately came back and did artistic stuff and still do artistic stuff. But my career was, was a record producer. Okay, and were you produ uh, producing for a specific label, or was that kind of a label you were trying to start? Uh, give me some information about that. Yeah, well, at at, at first it was me me as a as a in 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 my own with with partner and raising money, and we had control of a recording studio. Now this this wasn't a recording studio that you rented studio time in. This was. A recording studio. We were we were focused in Nashville. This was a recording studio that that you know you made records in. You didn't you know you didn't rent out. Um, it was ours as record producers. And uh, so so anyway, we uh, we were we were focused and and our our label deal was with Monument. We had a we had a major label deal, and so we released uh, three singles and an album for monument uh and uh had a single on the charts for nine weeks and that whole thing and that that really you know and that was i was still very young that would have been i left new york in 19 i got to new york in 1970 and i left new york in 75 and uh, for a, a couple of years dealt with things back at home in kansas city where where I had a recording studio and was signing artists and, and producing records and, and really finding my legs as a record producer. And then, then we signed some publishing deals and we signed an artist to Monument Records and ours named Gary Apple. We signed him to Monument Records and uh, had a couple of minor, you know, a minor hit and, and got some billboard play and, uh, and, uh, from there, I moved on. I moved on and at that point decided, you know, the punk rock scene was was vibrant. And this, so we're talking about the late 60s, our, our record on Monument, I mean, late 70s, our record on Monument came out in 78 and hit the charts in 78. And, and, uh, and uh, so the, the punk scene was just, electric oh my god it was just just so compelling and so artistically um as a producer i was working completely in pop but but art artistically i i really wanted to do do punk and so i went that way i i my next project was my debut album and and uh uh, which was on an indie label. There was a, a huge, vibrant punk scene, indie punk scene through those days, all centered out of record stores. You know, it was just a, you know, you sold. It was different. You, it was all about selling records, right? Record labels were manufacturers, and and so 
so there was this as as a punk artist as a as you know it was all about vinyl and and so so there was this huge scene of record stores you know nationwide and worldwide that you released records through and you toured 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 and you know so so that was that was the end of the 70s for for me and uh so we can explore that a bit if if you like how you know working at at a major label level my co-producer on the record at at Monument was Fred Foster um the Hall of the Hall of Fame producer country music hall of fame producer and you know Monument at that time was Roy Orbison and and um, the Gat Larry Gatlin and the Gatlin brothers and Boots Randolph and Charlie McCoy and and uh, uh uh, oh God, I can't remember. <laughs> well, I'll probably have you share a couple memories of those, but I, I want to give uh, time for you know everything since then as well. So let's kind of move forward a bit, and um, you know what were kind of the next steps after that? Once you you know eventually left the label, how did you continue to per, uh, uh, participate in music? Okay, well, I I carried on. Um, with all that until 1983, and then by then I was was married and uh, had a wife. I was I turned 30 in 1983, <laughs> and so you know my my career went from 14 year old to 30 year old. And uh, when I turned 30, I changed. I left the music business, and uh, mainly to raise a family. Disco had really killed the ability to break rock acts and had sort of changed things in a, in a very negative way for rock radio. And, you know, it, it was just a, a different time. And so, so I changed careers at that point and um, started school as a started college as a 30 year old freshman, went straight through, got a PhD in physics did 20 years as a scientist, as a theoretical physicist in industry, doing all kinds of different wonderful things. But but then as soon as, but, but that was always a lark for me. Uh, music was my career, right? Music was my profession. So as soon as my youngest daughter was old enough to move out uh, and, and, I I left that and came back to music full time. So that's when I was fifty five. And so we can we can sort of carve out the niche between when I turned thirty and when I turned fifty five. In those intervening years as a scientist, I still played and had fun, but I didn't gig or do anything. I was deadly serious about that career while it was happening. That's very impressive that you, you know, left the music industry to become a scientist. Uh, that's that's not so common from like a majority of the people that I've talked to. Not unheard of, but it's impressive. Well, you know, the shock value was great. You have to remember, I'm a punk rocker. I'm still a punk <laughs> right. rocker. Right. And and oddly enough, um, there are lots of PhDs in rock music. Um, probably 30 or 40 of them in known bands. And most of those are people from punk bands. Um, or, just, yeah, just I absolutely. Yeah. But uh, so, so I came back at 55, I came back um, to the music business. Um, I bought, I bought pro tools and I, I learned pro tools, uh, not 
not for the faint of heart. Uh, and and I I took a year to to get my legs under me as a producer, and then I s- founded a record label, uh, Russian Winter Records, and which is which is no longer that has morphed into a, a new label, Buffalo Burger Records. But I, I founded that label and started signing artists and started releasing indie music into the there's there was a vibrant indie market. Uh, which still exists, right? Indie radio and and uh, and you know it was the it was the same the same scene and and you know it's interesting. Um, you talk about trying to tell your listeners things that that are really valuable that you learn. One of the things I've learned is is the idea of what a hit is. As a producer, you're you're always looking for hits. But but people use people that don't have success use hit in a pejorative way, and uh, every form of music, every genre of music, whether it's classical, bluegrass, indie, death metal, death 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 metal, um, choir music, it doesn't matter what kind of music it is, there is some definition of what a hit is for for that genre. And so, you know, as producers, that that's you know, you and and as artists, that's what you that's what you really that's what you really are are looking for, right? Is understanding what what that sweet spot is where you artistically where you can artistically fulfill your desires but at the same time be able to meld those desires with the commercial necessities of whatever the market is for the type of music you're making yeah absolutely um okay so that you started a second label started releasing independent music uh what you're talking about uh, searching for hits as a producer is uh, absolutely relatable. I think that's kind of what everybody's kind of hoping for with the whole viral marketing type thing. Um, so where does that kind of bring you up to kind of in their in- interim? What are you working on now? Oh, all kinds of cool stuff. So I, I started a, a music blog, got fairly big from, from 2000. Uh, 11 to 2019, Florsheim Zipper Boots. We we publish reviews of indie artists every day. Um, I started recording as an artist between um, 2008 and present. I have released um, 11 EPs and albums and and five singles um those all came to streaming for the first time in 2023 and so from from the second week in january every two weeks um either one of my albums eps or singles have been released and so you know so i have a a huge catalog of work now um that spans genres. I've been I've been genre hopping through it. I, I had a had a chance to have a couple to have a a semi almost hit in Chill Wave during its fifteen minutes there in the 
the 2010s, I shared a manager with Youth Lagoon and and uh, Neon Indian and uh, and a publicist, and uh, then they then they found out I was 59 years old, and that career came screeching. I didn't let anybody see my face. I got a I got a decoder magazine and decoder blog premiere and they wanted a picture for the cover <laughs> and i sent them i sent them a picture with a rickenbacker 330 taken outside in car headlights so they couldn't see my face <laughs> and see how old i was <laughs> you should have done what the the people are doing nowadays and just like worn a mask yeah oh yeah hilarious so so and my book let me let me tell you about my most recent stuff. I've been I've been doing I'm I'm getting back in I'm getting into pop very much and and I'm I'm 2024 is going to be about pop music. It's going to be about a lot of post-punk music. Um it's going to be about a lot of swing, a lot of jazz and swing. And in January I want to tell you about one record I released that you can find anywhere called Leave Well Enough Alone. And it's a it's a great swing number with a with a really terrific group of musicians on it. I wrote it, I sing it, I play guitar, I was the producer. Um, Jack White's bass player, Dominic John Davis, does upright on it. Um, Ronnie Millsap's great band leader, who you can see online at, at Millsap's big Brickstone concert he just did, John Heinrich plays everything everything in it that has air going through it and there are going to be two versions of this record the one out now is just a combo and so john is doing sax and uh, and trumpet and john's with ronnie Millsap's band i don't know if i said that um but but uh, on the on the other version it's a full big band and john is playing trombones and, and flute and trumpets and sax and you know it's it's fantastic it's going to come out next year with the swing stuff i'm doing and uh, if you're into the voice it's uh, one of the background vocalists was kay cosentino who was a season 23 contestant on the voice fabulous artist and uh, piano is roger pitts who's a kennedy center teaching artist okay so uh once all that stuff comes out uh where can people find that and then also follow you generally on social media you can find me on spotify everywhere and everything is is out the the combo version of that record is out the big band version comes out this next year um but all my catalog is on spotify uh apple you know deezer teaser every everywhere you can imagine even on peloton you can find my stuff um uh let's see um rick r-i-c underscore gordon g-o-r-d-o-n you can find me on instagram i would love for you and your listeners to to give me a follow and you can keep up on my career i still perform um quite a lot out um you know there and and follow me on threads i i talk about you know the the challenges of being a, a 70 year old artist producer um i also feature a lot of new music on uh through my stories i do a feature that's called my favorite artist in the ether 
and uh, that's a that's a running feature that features different artists, and you'll find you'll find just some some great great people there. Awesome, perfect. I'll definitely make sure all that stuff gets linked as well, so people can find it. Um, so I always like to give the person I'm interviewing the opportunity to put out their last words. So, what's a message that you believe in that you think other people should hear? Follow your dreams. But my first commandment of the music business is thou shalt not bullshit thyself. Um, you know, if, if you're going to go for a career in the arts anywhere, you, you have to realize that it's a bunch of brilliant overachievers and that writing a great song or making a great record is not an end goal. That is the price of admission. And so, you know, you really got to you really got to give it your all and and don't be afraid to. You know, I've 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 been around. I had a bunch of I've had interns and friends. And I mean, if you really go out and it's your dream and you don't allow yourself a plan B, you will achieve what you need to achieve to to survive. 